Today we are actually going to continue our, our thought process with the I Love Sundays sermon series. Um, and a part of that today, we're going to talk about um, Sundays can change your family. Sundays can change your family. We are going to, we had two um, individuals do a short sermon for fine arts. Um, my prayer is that as you listen to these these uh, students share that you're challenged. I know I was whenever I heard their, their messages um, on th that Friday. And so, um, and then after they share, I'm going to share and we're going to um, conclude. So this is tag team preaching today. All right. Amen. Amen. Isaac Richter is going to come. And after Isaac comes, Caitlin Summers will come and share her message. Does evil exist? The university professor challenged his students with this question. Did God create everything? A student bravely replied, yes, he did. God created everything, the professor asked. Yes, sir, the student replied. The professor answered, so if God created everything, then God created evil. Since evil exists, and according to the principle that our works define who we are, then God is evil. The student became quiet before such an answer. The professor was quite pleased with himself because once again, he has proven that Christianity was a myth. Another student raised his hand and asked, can I ask you a question, professor? Of course, replied the professor. The student stood up and asked, professor, does darkness exist? The professor responded, he said, that's a dumb question. Of course dark, there's darkness. What is night is it, if it is not dark? The student replied, actually, you're wrong, sir. Darkness does not exist. Darkness is in reality the absence of light. Light we can study, but not darkness. In fact, we can use Newton's prism to break down white light into many colors and study the various wavelengths of each color. You cannot measure darkness. A simple ray of light can break into a world of darkness and illuminate it. How do you know how dark a certain space is? You must measure the amount of light present. Darkness is a term created by man to describe what happens when there's no light present. Finally, the young man asked the professor, sir, does evil exist? Now uncertain, the professor responded, of course, I've already answered this. We see it every day. It's a, it is a daily example of man's inhumanity to man. It is in the multitude of crime and violence everywhere in the world. These manifestations are nothing but evil. To this, the student replied, evil does not exist either, sir, or at least it does not exist unto itself. Evil is simply the absence of God. It is just like darkness, a word that has, man has created to describe the absence of God. God did not create evil. Evil is not like faith or love that exists just as light. Evil is the result for what happens when man does not have God's love present in his heart. It's like the darkness that comes when there's no light. So if God is sovereign, is he responsible for evil? The answer is no. In Genesis 1.31, it says that when God finished his creation, he saw everything and declared it very good. Many scriptures affirm that God is not the author of evil. James 1.13 says that God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. 1 John 1.5 says that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And if all these scriptures are true, then he cannot in any way be the author of evil. Occasionally, someone will quote Isaiah 45, 7 and claim that it proves God made evil as a part of his creation because it says, I form light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. But that's not what the verse means at all. The verse is saying that God devises calamity or misfortune as a judgment for the wicked, but in no sense is he the author of evil. Evil originates not from God, but from the fall of man. It's helpful, I think, to understand that sin itself is not a thing created. Sin is neither substance being spirit nor matter. 
So it's technically not proper to think of a sin as something that was created. Sin is simply a lack of moral perfection. People themselves bear full responsibility for their sin, and all the evil in the universe emanates from the sins of people. For example, Romans 5.12 says that death entered this world because of sin. Death, pain, disease, stress, exhaustion, calamity, and all these bad things happen because of the entrance of sin into the universe. All those evil effects of sin continue to work in the world and will be as long as sin is. 1 Corinthians 10.13 promises that God will not permit greater trial than we can bear. And James 1.13 tells us that God will not tempt us with evil. God is certainly sovereign over all evil. There's a sense in which it's even proper to say that evil is a part of God's plan. He planned for it. It didn't take him by surprise. It's not an interruption in his eternal plan. He declared the end from the beginning, and he is still working all things for his good pleasure. But with God, but God's role with regards to evil is never the author. He simply permits evil agents to work, then overrules evil for his own wise and holy ends. Ultimately, God is able to make all things work together for his plan. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. We're all sinners, meaning that we are all imperfect and sinful. That's why there's evil in the world. The only way for us to get rid of the evil in our lives is to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. God wants us to develop a personal and intimate relationship with him so that we no longer have the evil in our lives. So I'll close with this question. What are you going to do with evil in your life? Let me ask you something. Have you ever been scrolling through your phone with your friends and you're scrolling and you're scrolling and you know this one picture is coming up and you don't want your friend to see it? So you grab your phone before they even have a chance to see it. Why do we do this? Are we embarrassed of that picture when you're with your friends at church camp or when you're with your youth group at a great event like fine arts? Why? because you feel embarrassed. You know, I think we do that sometimes with God. I think we are too embarrassed to know that, to let people know that we love Jesus. Matthew 10, 32 through 33 says, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown my, before my Father in heaven. What this verse means is if you acknowledge God, he will acknowledge you. We do that by how we live in your actions and in your words, by communicating who God is and how important he is in your life. When we don't acknowledge God and love our lives as he doesn't exist, then Jesus denies us before God the Father. In other words, we won't make it to heaven. Let me tell you what I believe are two reasons why we have a hard time with this. Reason one, people are scared. We are scared of what people think of us. Whether that's teens or adults, I know we both care about how people think of us. I know that being a teenager and going to school every day with people who don't know Jesus and are, who are not saved can be tough. But sometimes we can't care about what people think of us. We have to care about their eternal life. It should be more important to save someone's life than to save your own reputation. Romans 1.16 says, 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. We should be more concerned about what God thinks of us than what people think of us. Reason two, we are scared we won't have the right answer for people's questions. If you're sharing the gospel with someone and they ask you a question about God and you don't know the answer, you freak, you get upset, and you can stop. Never to tell anyone else again. Or, if you're like me, there are still things I'm learning every day from the Bible. I'm still growing in my relationship with God. So I have to understand, I won't have all the answers, and I certainly won't know everything right on the spot. However, I can research someone's question by reading my Bible or asking someone for help. 1 Peter 3.15 talks about being able to give the answer for what we believe and the hope that we have. We should be able to share with someone our testimony and what Christ means to us without being ashamed or feeling like we have to have all the answers. While this is only two, you may have other reasons for not sharing your faith. I would challenge you to conquer your fear and take a step. Don't be ashamed to live your life and acknowledge how great God is and what he has done for you. Would you please bow your heads with me? Dear Lord, thank you for letting me be able to share this sermon today. I would pray that you would help us not be afraid to share about you. We don't want to have fear, but we want to be bold in sharing our faith. Whatever reason we use to keep us from doing that, I ask that you would convict us and give us courage to acknowledge you with our actions. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Proud of those kids. Amen. Amen. The fine arts thought process is they have five minutes to share. You aren't so lucky with me. I have more than five minutes to share. What, you wanted to hear them and not me? What's this about? Amen. You know, what, what we've been able to... Uh, to do this morning is just a small sample of the potential of a ministry that exists in our kids. And you're seeing some of them even walk out right now. It's just a small glimpse of the potential of what God is doing. The question for us is how do we keep cultivating ministry? Um, I'm positive that starts with relationship. And so today as we think about this, this idea of family, I want us to understand that I believe God has ordained Sundays to change your family. Sundays can change your family. You know, one of the greatest challenges that we have today is to raise kids. In the midst of all of our 90-mile-an-hour culture, our schedules, most of the time we have so many things going on, so many obligations 
that our family time exists when we are at a fast food restaurant going from one event to another. It events while we're in the car going to soccer practice. While we're doing some type of performance here or there. And typically what family conversations have gone to is kids with earbuds in their ears or, or electronical devices and we've kind of disengaged our family conversations. So today I want us to kind of look at that. I want, us to, I want to help us with that today. I feel like the Lord wants us to move into that today. I want Sunday to be the best day of your week as a family because God wants us to use Sundays to build better families. So whether you may be here today and maybe you're a, a grandparent, whether you're an aunt or an uncle, I believe that there are some things that you're going to be able to take home today that'll help you. Now, turn with me in your copy of the scripture this morning to Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs chapter 22. In this, in this one verse, in verse 6, we're about to read, it contains one of the most important principles that has been given in the history of parenting. This proverb that was composed by the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, is something that I believe will help us. I hope that it's a uh, child starter or a fire starter, if you will. Let's, let's read it together. Proverbs 22.6 says this, Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Maybe your copy of the scripture says, train up a child in the way they should go. Starting kids off. You know, I, I think at some point we have gotten this idea that this verse is a catch-all for us. That it's a guarantee that, man, if I just do these things, if I just pass my kids off to some Sunday school teacher, that uh, this will be a guarantee that my kids will be in heaven. I, I don't believe that's what this scripture is teaching us. I believe this scripture is teaching us this, that if you will take the time and do it the right way and train up and start your kids on the right path that they should go, whether or not they serve God through their teenage years, through some of their early adult years, one thing I believe will be happening is if you have taken the time to start them on the right path, the Holy Spirit will do it to where that keeps coming back to them over and over and over and over and over, and it will keep beating into them and keep challenging them and keep going to them. Some of you are here today and you say, you know what, my adult children are not serving the Lord. Can I tell you, if we would just keep praying, if we would keep seeking after God, those things that you tried to instill in them from the time they were a kid, those things that you started them off on the right thing, they will come back to them. The Holy Spirit will bring it back, and it will go over and over and over and over. Train up a child. Start off. Start children off on the way they should go. If you were to pull out a compass today, one that actually worked. 
And you were to take me by the shoulder and you would say, and turn me due north, which is actually where I happen to be facing right now. Due north, if you would face me that way. How many of you know, if I follow that compass and just walk straight, I'm going to get someplace. I'm going to get to the North Pole. Right? Once I hit the North Pole, I cease to be going north anymore, and I start going south. But that's another sermon for another day. The idea is that when we get that together and we end up there, Solomon is saying this, if you will initial and first push that important push, that most important thing, and line up your children on the right path, heading toward Christ, when they're old, they won't forget it. Isaac Newton had a law. It was the first law of thermodynamics. And in that law, he says this, an object in motion tends to remain in motion with the same direction and speed. I think of that law, maybe it's the law of the first push, as we see here in Proverbs 22, 6. Have you ever thought about this for a minute? Some of these, and maybe you haven't, but anybody familiar with football? A couple of guys in here, football? Why do you think Peyton Manning and Eli Manning became quarterbacks? Because their father was a quarterback. There's a, a famous actor, his name is George Clooney. Why do you think he might have leaned toward acting? Because his aunt was Rosemary Clooney and leaned him toward acting. What direction you start your children off determines the destination that they are likely to arrive. If you can see that, then you'll understand and practice this number one thing that's the most important of these things that we're going to talk about today. I'm going to give you three practices to give you um, to help you point your children off in the right direction. Before I start, I want us to understand this principle, and this will be an underlying thing throughout this entire thing. Children model behavior. Children model behavior. So as we start down this, I want you to remember that. The first one is this. We need to put God first. Put God first. Matthew 6.33 says it this way. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Know what belongs in your life first. The best gift that you can give your kids and your grandkids is not to love them more than you love God. Well, that just shocked some of you, didn't it? The best gift that you can give your kids and or grandkids is to not love them more than you love God. They need to see that modeled in front of you. You've heard the, the expression, an acorn never falls far from the tree. You've heard the expression, monkey see, monkey do. Right? Well, what are your little monkeys looking at you do? <laughs> you say, we've studied the Ten Commandments, and if you've done that, you... You know that uh, the first commandment is, I'm the Lord your God. You should have no other gods before me. Jesus 
God, the, the Godhead wants to be first in your life. The most important thing is to put God first. When you put him first, you'll have the most influence. What's it mean to put God first? Well, there's a quote that I, I saw. I think it's really, really poignant. It's by Hal Seed. And it says this, putting God first means spending time with him, caring for what he cares about, using your money the way he would use it if it were his. Hello. Putting God first means honoring him on the Sabbath and honoring him with your words, your attitudes, and your ethics. Putting God first means honoring him with how you treat your body. I know that those are tall orders, and there is grace. You won't be perfect. But if you are trying to honor God, your children will see that and imitate that. And when you fail, they'll say that it's okay for them to be imperfect too. Anybody ever flown on a plane? Before you actually leave the ground, these wonderful stewardess people come out and they go through the safety precautions procedures with you, right? Your seat cushion can be used as a flotation device, right? Which is great news when you're flying over Kansas. That's awesome. <laughs> And they also say this, they say, if there's a slight drop in cabin pressure, an oxygen mask will fall from the ceiling, right? What they don't tell you is when there's a drop in cabin pressure, the cabin starts to fill up with a dense fog. This oxygen mask is going to drop right in front of you, and you're going to be trying to find it, right? Then they tell you to put the mask on, and here's the funny one, breathe Normally. So if the cabin loses pressure, if we're in a free fall from the sky, I'm supposed to put this mask on and breathe normally. <laughs> uh, I don't think so. But there's one thing that they also tell you that is very important, and I think it's something we can learn about this thought process with putting God first. And that's this. Before you can help someone else, whether that be the person sitting next to you or your kids, you need to make sure that your mask is on first. That's an important thing. Why do they do that? Because it's a whole lot easier for you if you're breathing norm normally, if you've got oxygen coming in, it's a whole lot easier for you and you'll have less likelihood of passing out or anything happening to you, and you'll be able to calmly be able to put it on someone else. But if you try to do it them first, it won't work. That's the same principle God says. Make sure that your life is right with me first. Then share that with someone else. Then share it with someone else. That leads me to my second um, principle or practice today, it's this. Let your kids see your relationship with God. Let your kids see your relationship with God. In Deuteronomy, that's basically, Deuteronomy is a book of sermon. Moses is writing a sermon, last thoughts and notes to the Israelite people before they get ready to go into the promised land. Several times throughout the book of Deuteronomy, one of them in Deuteronomy chapter 6, another one in Deuteronomy chapter 11, 
Moses says this. I want to read chapter 6 to you. It, It says... These commandments I give you today. He told them in chapter verse 5, he says, Hear, O Israel, hear the Lord. The Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all your strength. Then he goes on in verse 6, and he says this. These commandments I give to you today to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Tell, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. It's so important. He goes again in, in chapter 11. He's talking again about this idea of of teaching and being careful not to turn away or worship other idols because the Lord's a jealous God and his anger will burn against them. And and here's what he says in verse 18. He says, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your forehead, uh, on your hands, and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. There's an important lesson here that Moses is trying to communicate in this last sermon, that it's important for us to let your kids know about, see, learn about, and watch your relationship with God. It's critical. Why is it so critical? Because Moses knew that once those children of Israel got into the promised land, there was going to be all kinds of other people that would try to destroy them. There were Canaanites, there were Hittites, there were Amazites, there were uh, Amorites, there were Perizzites, there were Hivites, Jebusites, Malachites, there were mosquito bites. There was all kinds of people that were going to be in the promised land. And if they didn't have their hearts set on God, they were going to fall. If they didn't teach the generation that was coming behind them and show them the way, it was going to lead to disaster. And God's anger would burn against them. The tragic thing is, I think somewhere between Joshua 1 and Joshua 24, they lost the book of Deuteronomy. Because when you get to Judges, the very thing that Moses warned them about, they walked right into. The Bible says one of the most, uh, there's a lot of sad verses throughout that commentary in Judges, but one of them is they did what was right in their own eyes. We live in a society today where people do what's right in their own eyes. And if you're not teaching your kids and showing them, them, letting them see your relationship with God, you're setting them up for failure. Let your kids see you pray. Let your kids see you read the Bible. Let your grandkids see you reading the Word of God. Let Let your nieces and your nephews see you being relational with Jesus. Let them see you tithe. Let them see you witness. Don't make your relationship with God this private thing that your kids are not allowed to come into. Don't let it be something that they can't wrap their mind around. 
Because I'm going to tell you, if you're private and secluded about your relationship with God in front of your kids, it will lead to them thinking it's a religion and not a relationship. If all they see you do is the do's and don'ts, but they don't, they're not invited into your prayer room to see how you talk and interact with God, they'll think it's a religion. If you're not talking about the things of, of God and you're not um, impressing them on your kids, there'll come a day and it'll be the same way it was for the Israelites. There'll come a day when it said this way, they knew neither the God of Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham, but they went after the gods of the, of the country they were in. Remember, loving, live your life every day with the Lord. I want my kids to know the God I love and serve is real. I want them to know he's alive. And I want them to know that he loves them. I model that with my actions. I model that with my life and my words. And I, and I also do that with my checkbook. Remember, Children model behavior. How you walk with God, how you treat your spouse. Your kids are watching how they treat your, they watch how I treat their mother. And they will tend to model how, what I do in that area as well. Finally today, and this, is, this list is not exhaustive by any stretch of the imagination, but Today, the final thing I want us to look at is this. We need to help our kids find godly mentors. Um, and this is a sad thing, and I've come to realize this a little bit. Parents, there's a day, maybe you're not there if you're a young parent, maybe you're not there yet, but there's a day when your kids won't want to listen to you anymore. I thought I was the cool dad. And as the cool dad, I should be the one that you come to with every little thing, man. You should be able to come to me with anything because, man, I'm the cool dad. You know, Mark Twain, he says it this way. He gave a little advice about raising teenagers. He said, when your child turns 13, you should stick them in a barrel and feed them through the knot hole. <laughs> he went on to say this, when they turn 16, you cover up the knot hole. It may not be the greatest parenting advice, but <laughs> something happens between the ages of 11 and 14 to every kid, it seems like. They start to be cool and their parents are not. A gap starts to open. And this is where the church can shine. By having people in place that can be mentors to kids. Sometimes you have younger junior high and middle school kids, they'll look up to older high school kids who have gone through. Sometimes you'll have them look up to a youth sponsor, a youth leader, or sometimes they'll have someone in the, in the body of Christ that they can look up to and they can model after. Can I tell you uh, just a brief story of, of my life? I was a teenager and yeah, mom and dad weren't cool. My mom and dad keeps reminding me that you reap what you sow. <laughs> 
Um, there was a time my parents weren't cool, so you know, there, you needed mentors in your life, and I had some great ones. I had some great friends. I had some great youth leaders, but there was one lady. Her name was Hazel Atkinson. Hazel Atkinson has long been with the Lord um, for a long time because whenever I was in high school, she was 90. This 90-year-old would come down and teach our high school Sunday school class. This 90-year-old would invite us over. We would go over with the idea that we were going to do yard work for her, and we would pick up sticks and mow her grass and everything. And then once all of that was done, she had this big like spread of food with lemonade and tea, and we'd just sit down. And you know what we'd do? We'd just sit there and talk about Jesus. We'd just talk about life. Here's someone that was 90 years old. So let me just throw this out there. I don't care what age you are. God is not done with you yet. I don't care if you're 9 or 90. God has a purpose for your life. There is no retirement in the kingdom until we retire over there in heaven. Work for the Lord. We need those kind of people in our life. We need to have those people in with our kids. That's why it's important that for, with our Sunday school teachers, with our children's church workers, it's important with even you as interacting. Maybe you're not involved in any of those ministries that deal with kids, girls club, rangers. Maybe you're not involved in anything like that, but you still have influence. And our kids need that. Our families need that. I've got to allow Jesus to come through for me to speak with other people, especially our kids. Positive role models. It's important. We talk, we've talked about over this series of Making Sunday the greatest day of your week making Sundays um, not just a time when when you can come and and this this body is is so much more being a part of the body of Christ is so much more than just filling a pew being a part of the body of Christ is encouraging it's lifting up it's doing missions it's doing work together it's it's loving each other it's coming alongside of families it's being a part of a family and it can make a difference in your family. Start off, train up a child in the way they should go. Get them pointed in the right direction. Let them see Jesus in you. Put God first and let them see that relationship you have with God. Let people help you along the way. And if you'll do that, God will continually begin to speak into their life. And it'll change your family. But here's a side note. The church can't change your family if you're not here. We can't help you with that process if you're not dedicated to be in the house of God. So the challenge is this. Make a commitment. Sundays have the potential to change your family. 
if you'll make the commitment to let them. You know, my growing up, I've said this before, when I was uh, a kid, I, I really didn't care to go to church. My parents drugged me to church. I'm so glad they did. Because in the start of that, even in whenever I wasn't, didn't have a relationship with God, even when I walked away from the Lord, that path was still laid before me. And I still got to see them serve God. Let me make a couple applications for you today. You'll talk about these in your home group later. One application number one is this. Make Sunday a family day. Now, don't go overboard with the thought process. Pastor said make uh, Sunday's a family day, so when we get a nice one, we're going to go out to the boat. You can go out to the boat at 1 o'clock. Because starting next Sunday, I'm praying all boats sink <laughs> until 1 o'clock. Just saying. There's a quote that says this, anchor your Sundays in church, then continue spending quality time together at home and beyond. Make it fun. We have a, a thing in our house. It, it just says this. A family that plays together stays together. But I want to add something to that. A family that prays together and plays together builds a legacy. If you'll pray together and you'll play together, you'll have fun. It's not all fun, just business, but you'll have fun together. You'll build a legacy. Number two, talk meaningfully. What are some great questions that you could ask over Sunday lunch or Sunday dinner. Maybe questions like this. What was the most interesting thing about the sermon or the class lesson that you had at church today? Maybe you could ask questions like, what story do you remember about the oldest relative that you know? Maybe you could ask questions that, man, what's the nicest thing a friend's ever done to you? What's your earliest memory? What's your favorite Bible character and why? I'm just throwing these out to you. Interaction is awesome. And kids will eat that up. You have to be able to press on and in, though. And I'll tell you why. Because here's what's going to happen. What you talk about church today? Jesus. You can't just let it in there, right? What else you talk about? God. All them apostles. Yeah, you can't let it in there. You have to kind of go fishing. Kind of, kind of pull it out of them a little bit, all right? You can't just let it be the surface relationship. Let, it, let the conversation be happening. And probably what's going to happen, if you're not in the habit of doing this kind of stuff, your kids are going to look at you and go, what are you doing? Why are you asking me this? Just say, Pastor told me I should. <laughs> that works. Get involved. Ask questions. I hope you'll try this. It's a significant way to bond and to build your family identity as well as have a good time together. Number three is this. Explore God together. Explore God together. One thing I noticed in, in uh, one of the sermons that was earlier is, hey, I'm still growing in my relationship with God. I don't have all the answers. None of us do. And so let's explore God together. Let's talk about God. Let's go after God. 
Let's do, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. So let's do that together. Let's make that part of our family to do. And finally is this, serve together. Find something to do around here regularly as a family. Whether that be in your church or your community, find something that you can plug into. I know it would help our entire church family. It really benefits, um, but it really benefits your family for a long time. Whether that's plugging into food pantry ministry as a family, whether that's coming in and doing a, a local missions project as a family, whatever it is that you can find to serve in, do it. I want to read one last time this passage before we pray. Start children off on the way they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, today I, I pray. I pray for parents. I pray for grandparents. I pray for all of our families, God, today. Because as we sit here, Lord, today, we understand the importance. It was no different for us today as it was when Moses challenged the Israelites. Moses knew that that day was coming, Lord, when they were going to walk into a place that was full of sin. It was full of corruption. And God, today, we every day dress up our kids, our grandkids, our nieces, our nephews. We dress them up and we send them off to school. We send them off to our community. And many times in the places that they go to, it is full of sin and corruption. And God, if we don't impress, if we don't drive home, if we don't show the relationship we have with you, if we don't make it personal and impress all those things on our children, on our grandchildren, if we don't start them out on the right path and in the right way, God, it will be a disastrous ending. But God, today I thank you that your word is true. And I thank you, Lord, that you are faithful. And if we will do the things the right in what you have asked us to do, if we will point them in the right direction, if we will put you first in our life, if we will make a commitment to, do, to let them see our relationship with you, to open up, not be private and seclusive, but we will open up ourselves, God, to you. And God, if we will spend time together, if we'll do those things that we need to do, Lord. If we'll serve together, if we'll make Sunday meaningful and have a family day, if we'll, if we'll talk, if we'll express and explore you and serve, God, you'll do amazing things in us and in our kids. So God, today I pray that you would help us. This morning, your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. And you be honest with yourself and you be honest with God and you say, you know what? I need God's help in this. I think all of us would say yes to that, but maybe you're even more so. Maybe you're here today and you've not started that relationship with God. You don't have God first in your life. You will never be able to raise a generation of people who put God first if you don't know how to do it yourself. And so today you'd like to make a declaration that says, I want to put God first in my life. If that's you, would you slip up your hand this morning? We want to pray with you today. Yes. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. I want to put God first. Yes. Yes. 
Yes. I want to put him first. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Would you stand to your feet today? You might also be here today and you'd say, you know what, Pastor, I, I really struggle with this concept of letting the people around me see my relationship with Jesus. And I want to be open. I want to I show God's love to, to not only those um, that uh, are outside in the workplace or in my school, but I want to do it in my family. I want to raise my kids. I want to raise my family to, to see the Jesus that I serve. And if you say, Pastor, I need help with that, I need God to help me with that this morning, would you just slip up your hand today? I want people to see the Jesus I serve. I want my family to see that in me. Amen. 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 Let's bow our heads. Father, today, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for the heritage and the family that I've been given. I thank you, God, for the, the parents that I had that started me on the right path. God, today there are parents that are here that have started their kids on the right path. And for whatever reason, maybe they've gotten off that path. But God, I pray, Holy Spirit of God, your word says that when they grow old, they will not depart. They will not forget. Holy Spirit, would you keep bringing them to that place? Would you keep bringing them back toward that path? Would you just keep putting people in their life that will help them to get to those godly mentors in their life that will help them get where they need to be? God, to serve you and to put you first. God, I pray right now for those that, that raise their hands signifying, God, that I need to put God first in my life. God, I pray right now that above all else, that the very first commandment will be something that we, um, God, we adhere to. I want to put you first, first in my life. God, that's going to come just by us making the, the conscious effort and decision that says, I have decided to follow Jesus with all of my heart all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength. Holy Spirit, right now, would you just flood that heart? Would you flood that life, God, right now in Jesus' name? God, I pray for every family that's represented here today. God, I pray that a move of God, I believe revival will happen in our country when a move of God happens in our home. And so, God, I pray for moves of the Spirit of God to happen in the homes of Byesville Assembly of God families. That, God, you would move, that revival would take place, and not only would it take place across our land, it would start in our houses. Hallelujah. And God, I pray that that would be the case in us. Help us. We need you, Lord. We can't do this on our own. We recognize that. God, we need you. I praise you today, and I thank you, Lord. Help us to raise and start and train children. Get them on the path they should go. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you today. Help us in our home groups tonight. God, let conversation, be ministry, let ministry happen in those homes, God, this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.